A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The New Statesman. Hi, I'm Anusha Kellyan, Britain editor at The New Statesman and host of this podcast. And joining me in the studio, I have Freddie Haywood, our political correspondent, and Rachel Cunliffe, our associate political editor. And they've been digging around in our mailbag and have brought a couple of questions from you to discuss today. So, Rachel, let's go with you first. What have you chosen? So this is a question from Joe S, who asks, have Labour sort of gotten away with the 28 billion thing? They seem to have taken a bit of a hammering, but I expected it to be far worse. Can I say that I love referring to this as the 28 billion thing? Yeah. It has become that. Yeah, yeah. Right. Other than the 28 billion question, which has yeah. become a bit of a cliche now. Yeah. Um, so for any of our listeners who <laughs> have been away for is. a while, um, this was Labour promising to spend 28 billion a year on a green industrial uh, transition uh, if they won the election. And they initially announced this in 2021 at conference. Rachel Reeves, Shadow Chancellor, it was a big um, sort of pledge. Uh, and this has been watered down and equivocated over sort of over time. And in the end, they completely uh, U-turned on it at the beginning of this month. And now the spending plans are down by almost 75% on this on this issue. And our senior editor, George Eaton's cover story in The New Statesman about this a few weeks ago explains exactly how, how that decision came about. But what we're trying to answer is whether or not they got away with such a big U-turn. Um, what do you guys think, Freddie? Do you think they've, they've managed to weather the storm? I mean, it's never going to be the turning point in a, in a in a general election campaign when someone just you know changes how much money they're going to spend on a specific policy but retains the policy itself so we have to remember that they're still trying to decarbonize the electricity system by 2030 they're keeping uh, the great british energy the national wealth fund the home insulation plan even if the latter's been uh, defunded to some extent i think the big problem is that it fitted into a broader narrative that Keir Starmer lacks principles, he doesn't have the conviction to radically change the country at a juncture in uh, politics when radicalism and a a sense of uh, grasping the problems that the country faces was needed. So I think that's the risk. Are we going to see that immediately play out? I'm not sure. I think the Tories will draw on it going forwards. And I also think they're still going to accuse the government of uh, being profligate with the public finances because they've retained so many of the, the policies that were already there. I think as well, if we look at the actual, you know, chronology of what happened, you saw it immediately being overshadowed by Rochdale. And then this week it's been overshadowed by the uh, debate in Parliament over Gaza. So I don't think there was necessarily the space for it to get the attention that it that it might have needed. And also, let's remember that we've been having this debate for a very long time now. Um, you know, it's been two or three months when there's been briefings about whether it's going to go, whether it's going to stay. So, you know, any any impact or, or, or negative effect on polling might have already happened. Yeah, it was a bit of a slow motion U-turn, yeah. really. They it's were, a torturous death. Yeah, they were U-turning <laughs> on it for, for a while. Um, blocking up the road. Um. (laughs) Yeah, I think what is interesting about the way that decision got made is the attacks from the Conservatives for... uh 
months, years actually since the policy was announced, have been, uh, you know, every time that they're challenged on anything, it's always been, oh, but look, Labour, they want to get out the chequebook, 28 billion. Like that's become kind of like a tagline, like a catchphrase mm. that they were using. Rishi Sunak was using at PMQs. Every time he got asked a difficult question, it was, well, you know, we may be having issues with X, Y, Z, but look at Labour, they want to spend 28 billion. And there was a feeling that it had sort of become that figure had become an albatross essentially around the necks of Labour wanting to show that they were financially responsible. The thing is, though, that having had months of back and forth, will they, won't they drop it, Mm. when they announced that they were dropping it, it took seconds for the Tory comms machine to just switch gears and go from Labour are financially irresponsible to Keir Starmer flip-flops on anything you you can't trust him. And there was a really interesting column in the Telegraph in that week by a Telegraph comment editor who was really against the 28 billion as a Mm-hmm. as a policy, mm-hmm. but was writing how that meant that you couldn't trust Keir Starmer with anything because he says one thing and then does another. And so I think Labour may have been naive if they thought that ditching the policy would protect them and sort of be a defensive move because all that it did is it just switched the attack line to something else. Well, yes. And also, you know, whatever they're planning on carrying on spending on these issues is still borrowing, isn't it? It's four, four billion or something, yeah. somewhere around that. And to be honest, once you're in the billions, it's very difficult to sort of envisage that as, as just a person who's never money. seen a billion pounds. <laughs> yeah, so I think the attack line can kind of stay. But but it's reinforced with this idea that um, I think there's, that the Conservatives have had some traction on, which is of, like you said, Freddie, of, of Keir Starmer as someone who changes his mind, flip-flopper, Captain Hindsight, you know, someone who blows with the wind and, and no one knows what he truly believes. And that's something that does come up, even from people who are saying that they're going to vote for Labour this time round, that they don't really know what they stand for. They don't really know sort of what his politics are. And I think that's probably the bigger vulnerability with a U-turn like this. But it did come up. I think I said this um, on the podcast with you and Ben Walker about the by-election results last week. It came up in Kingswood um, where there's quite a lot of manufacturing jobs. Mm. Um, Rolls-Royce, Airbus, BAE Systems... um, People care about the future of these industries, and I th- and they were they were bringing it up on the doorstep. It wasn't just a sort of Westminster issue. So people have noticed, I think. Yeah, I mean that just plays into the broad narrative about whether Labour will be able to to grasp the issues. But I do think we should also, you know look ahead and and I do think it um, prefigures some of the problems that Labour will encounter in government. We always have to remember that the problems aren't just going to disappear because Keir Starmer walks through the number 10 threshold. The boats will keep coming. The economy won't just suddenly grow. The NHS will still be in a mess. Um, the ceilings in schools made out of dodgy concrete will keep falling on children's heads. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So the fiscal bind that Rachel Reeves has imposed on the party will keep coming into tension, I think, with the broader prospect or the broader desire within the party to deal with public services or, you know... Yeah, and the appetite in the country. Move to net zero. Exactly. And that tension isn't going to disappear. And after the break, it's your turn to ask a question, Freddie. Can you give us a clue on what you've chosen? I can indeed. Okay, we're going to be talking about the culture war. Again. (laughs) (laughs) If you subscribe to The New Statesman, you can get all of our episodes ad-free on The New Statesman app. You can get it on both iOS and Android. Just search for New Statesman on the App Store or Google Play Store. We'll be back after this.
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Freddie, what's the question? So, this is a question from Holly, who asks, I've heard speculation that the Tories' election strategy is not really about cultural and wedge issues or evoking fear of Labour spending plans. It's about showing Starmer as indecisive and untrustworthy and the Labour Party as divided. Yeah. OK, so I don't know whether Holly has some kind of insight into, <laughs> into CCHQ. Um, but I think she's probably on to something here. It does look like the focus of Conservative attacks have shifted from some of those issues to like we were talking about in the first half of the podcast, Keir Starmer being a, a flip-flopper and untrustworthy. But also, I think, sort of almost ever since they brought David Cameron back, they've kind of reverted to a 2015-style election uh, messaging, which was all about the long-term economic plan, sort of, it's been painful, but, you know, we're all in it together and stick with us type, you know, post-austerity yeah. kind of messaging. And I think that's what they're doing now. So they're saying the plan is working and, lab- and on the flip side, Labour has no plan. Um, we've turned a corner on the economy. That was something Jeremy Hunt was saying um, in the autumn statement. Which, which I think goes hand in hand with don't go back to square one. Yeah, and don't Labour. go back to square one with Labour. squares. Yeah, so this idea is we're, you know, we're making some progress on what we've committed to achieve. Don't let Labour mess it up, which I think was always going to be a more sensible strategy than bringing up some of these issues that may, you know, may be disquieting to, to sort of a small part of the population but aren't necessarily first order sort of the most salient voting issues that people have um what do you think freddie do you think they've they're going to sort of go for this over culture war yeah i do i was speaking to someone um last week and they were essentially saying that even though they're working extremely hard to get flights off to rwanda for instance Mm. uh they still don't think even if they do uh that they will focus on migration in the election just because the economy is the the key Mm. concern of voters and I, i think that's playing out now we're seeing briefings much more about tax cuts the focus is on the budget it's not so much on uh, immigration or some of these other issues and not not that immigration i think is a, is a cultural it's just a, a policy issue uh but you can you see what they're trying to do there so yeah but you've got to remember the the past year or so has been full of number 10 switching and changing its strategy and i think you're right they have sort of settled now on a on an eco- economic message i think they will still go for keir starmer and trying to as we discussed earlier try to paint him as indecisive and untrustworthy they're going to hark back to his uh, period as DPP at mm-hmm. the as the chief prosecutor. Whether that's successful or not, I think Labour feel quite confident that they can rebut those charges and essentially say that Keir Starmer represents the sort of strong state, the, the law and order uh, public servant that many people might respect. See, yeah. I don't see it like that at all. I think there are two distinct conservative election campaigns sort of running in parallel at the moment or on top of each other. Um, one of which is the go back to the economy, this is Isaac Levito's mm. big thing, stick with the plan, the plan's working with the grown-ups, yeah. we brought back David Cameron. Yeah. Uh, and that is the core of the campaign. But there is a significant faction of the conservative right that doesn't think that 
will work. Yeah. I can see it isn't working. Yeah. And genuinely thinks that the culture wars is the way to, if not win the election, then to mitigate the losses. And you've kind of got to look at which MPs are at risk of losing their seats, mm. where if your main challenger is the Lib Dems in the leafy south where environmental issues are very important you're going to have a very different election strategy personally as an MP to if you are in the north red wall seats or your seat is at risk from reform and for a substantial number of MPs that policy works for them better even if they think that it won't win them a general election I think it was this time last year Lee Anderson came out and said uh, the next election will be fought on the culture wars and the trans issue and, mm, and there's that. Mm. And what I think you're seeing with Sunak is he's trying to go for this boring, technocratic, stick with the economy, it's, it's working plan. But every so often he sort of throws something to MPs on the right and it doesn't always work and it's quite disjointed. And you can see that from the other week mm. when Starmer asked him a serious question at PMQs and Stunak immediately went, or he doesn't know what a woman is, when Esther Jai, the mother of the murdered transgender teenager, Brianna Jai, was in Parliament. And that is a line that Sunak has used against Starmer at PMQs repeatedly. He gets asked an economic question, he throws back a culture wars answer. Obviously, that was a very unfortunate exchange because of the circumstances around it. But you can see that strategy playing out. And I think that's mm -hmm. why it's it's that there are while it won't work in a general election campaign there are individual MPs and individual seats who think that it will help them interestingly I've got some polling mm. from um, King's College London that have been tracking attitudes to woke mm. um, so this is from at the end of last year, only one in seven people think of themselves as being anti-woke. Now, that is an increase, but it's still a minority. 15% of the public consider themselves to be anti-woke. 16%, so basically the same, consider themselves to be woke. The most common response is that people don't know what these terms mean. 44% of people don't know what they mean. Another 21%, so they don't identify with either label. So woke or anti-woke is a kind of minority view. Interestingly, four in 10 conservative leave consider themselves to be anti-woke as do three in ten older men. So you get a higher proportion of people identifying with being anti-woke among traditional conservative voters or in particular people who voted conservative in 2019. So for the conservatives who are trying to piece together the scraps of the 2019 coalition, this issue does matter mm -hmm. to those voters. It just doesn't matter to the country as a whole. And that kind of tells you something about the, the difficulties in this particular election campaign, because they're trying to cling on to something while reaching out across the country. And you can't really do both. But that's why these MPs are angry, right? They're yeah. angry because it's not the strategy. They're angry that number 10 haven't said they're going to leave the ECHR. They're angry that because number 10 is not going hard on these issues. So it's, it's not the strategy as such. But I, I, I agree there are divisions within the party. But many MPs are concerned they're going to lose their seats because uh, number 10 aren't focusing on it. Yeah, and I think what you're getting is the sort of baseline number 10 strategy overlaid with a bit of culture yeah. wars to give it a bit of a anti-woke flavour to, to throw something, something to, those, to those MPs. Those MPs yeah. who are unsatisfied yeah, with the strategy. I do remember when I interviewed Damien Green, who is the representative of the One Nation group of MPs who seem to be sort of winning this argument at the moment. He, he, I asked him about a get Rwanda done type election and he said that's a fantasy and it seems that you know they're not going to, to go for that. Um, 
but we'll see whether planes take off and whether that changes the calculation. Because like you say, it's been the strategy has been all over the place. Um, well, thanks for those great questions um, to our listeners. And thanks to everyone who submitted a question this week. We do read all of them. So please keep them coming in. If you'd like to send us one, you can just go to newstatesman.com forward slash you ask us. And if you're listening on Spotify, just scroll down on the episode page and leave a reply. And YouTube viewers can drop a question in the comments. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Anusha Kellyan, and my colleagues, Rachel Cunliffe and Freddie Hayward. We'll be back next week. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.